I'm Bruce Hooley. It is December the 27th by the time you listen to this, as I will release it just after midnight. And I'm happy to be with you. we got Browns and Bengals to talk about. Buckeye basketball team back on the hardwood on Tuesday. Buckeyes arrive in Pasadena for the Rose Bowl against Utah. That game will be played Friday. Am I the only one whose week is all screwed up? Wondering what day it is? It's like... Impossible to keep track of what day it is with a holiday week and Christmas being on Saturday. And we went to church Saturday, Friday night for Christmas Eve. And then we had Christmas yesterday and we're back in church today. And I don't have to work tomorrow, but I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's just weird, like weird having all these days off and not knowing, you know, exactly what day it is in my mind. But I'm probably not the only one going through that. All that really matters is you're here. I'm here. We're ready to talk some football, some sports, some basketball, and a little faith at the end with uh, some really cool things that I learned from one of the chapters in the Bible that not a lot of people spend a lot of time with, but I spent some time with it this morning, and I was greatly blessed by it, and I hope you will be too. I know you'll be blessed by Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee. It'll wake you up in the morning. It will enliven your day. It'll add texture to your day, and you'll know you're doing great things for somebody in an area of the world where they are not nearly as prosperous as we are. Think of countries like Nicaragua, Thailand, Ethiopia, Indonesia. Would you like to live any of those places? No, probably not. Got it pretty good here in the old U.S. of A. Even though we uh, try to mess it up and find a lot of things wrong with it, those countries are definitely struggling. And that's what Hemisphere Coffee Roasters is all about, is helping people help themselves. Buying their coffee, putting money into those local economies, bringing you great coffee, doing mission work. And a lot of the growers in those areas have plugged into building basically house churches, like uh, I think Diego in uh, Indonesia is HemisphereCoffeeRoaster.com's guy, and I think he has financed like 50 churches. And when you think of a church, don't think of a church building. It's just a guy, a pastor, who's getting some financial assistance to spread the gospel throughout the world. It's a really cool thing that they do at Hemisphere, and by the way, they don't buy just any coffee. It has to be really, really good, and it is, and you'll get 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps, WETACKLELIFE in all caps, and you will be good to go that way. Great way to send a gift to somebody that you love across the country, maybe a New Year's gift for a business locally or uh, across the country. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters will come up with the gift package, the gift packaging, and they'll mail it out, and you won't have to do anything other than place the order. So remember, 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. All right, today, Bengals all over the Ravens. The AFC North playoff picture, which is uh, congested with the Browns, Steelers, Bengals, and Ravens all locked within, what, essentially two games of each other, even though the Steelers have a tie in there. Uh, seven, seven, and one Steelers. Ravens are eight and seven. Browns are whew, seven and eight, and Bengals are nine and six. And the Bengals are I mean, sitting in a good spot, but they have to get into the playoffs. They have to beat the Chiefs in Cincinnati next Sunday, or win the season finale in Cleveland two weeks from now. Now, the Browns will be on a short week then because they play not tomorrow night, but a week from tomorrow night on Monday Night Football at Heinz Field against the Steelers. Oh, the Steelers, by the way, beat the Browns 15-10 to the first time they played this year in Cleveland, which is one of the egregious losses 
that the Browns have suffered this year to a thoroughly depleted Steeler team. It didn't have a kicker in the second half of that game. And that game in Pittsburgh will likely be Ben Roethlisberger's final home game of his career. Uh, I don't see them getting a home playoff game, and I don't really see them making the playoffs, although they're not mathematically eliminated yet. They could get in if they win out, but beating the uh, Browns on Monday night football and then winning at the Ravens the following week, I mean, that'd be a heck of a career crowner for Ben Roethlisberger to win the AFC North in his final year with two improbable wins like that. But Ben at home on Monday night, yikes, right? I mean, that's going to really be a tough game. Uh, I think the Browns could win it, should win it. And if they do win it, the AFC North will, unless the Bengals beat the Chiefs this coming Sunday, unless the Bengals beat the Chiefs this coming Sunday, and the way the Chiefs are playing, nobody expects that, but I wouldn't put anything past the Bengals because they are really good, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, But if the Bengals don't beat the Chiefs this coming Sunday and the game is in Cincinnati, then, and the Browns beat the Steelers, That game in Cleveland, two weeks from today, will be for the AFC North. Uh, The Ravens could still win it. Bengals and Browns could, you know, split. The Ravens could win against the Steelers at home. They have the Rams at home. And they have another game, and I can't remember what it is right now. But the, the Ravens have work to do, a lot of work to do. The Steelers have a lot of work to do. In terms of making the playoffs, I actually think best odds are Bengals first, because all they got to do is win one. Browns second. Although picking them to win two in a row is dicey now with the way that they've been dropping games, but it's tight. It's tight. And when it's tight, what makes the difference? Well, the little things make the difference. Special teams, of course, but mainly turnovers. And Joe Burrow today and the Bengals did not turn it over. They were playing a very depleted Ravens roster. Let me just say, all the numbers that are coming in for COVID and Omicron and all this stuff and flights are canceled and all this, it's a very difficult time not to be depressed because you think, holy cow, are we going back and doing all this stuff again? All the stuff we did in March of 2020 when we didn't know anything about COVID. And I'm not going to get on a soapbox here about COVID. I'm, I'm a firm believer. My, my main COVID thing is do what you want to do. You shouldn't be forced to do whatever you want to do. You shouldn't be forced. You shouldn't be forced to do anything. You shouldn't be forced to wear a mask. You shouldn't be forced to get a vaccine. But I understand why. If you want to get a vaccine, you get one. But I don't believe in just mandating it. But I do believe it's really silly, really silly with all the initial prognoses of Omicron. That what have we had in America? One person die of Omicron. And in other countries, they talk about the hospitalization rate being dramatically low from Omicron. Basically, Omicron is here because we have so many people with vaccines. The highest percentage of Omicron people are vaccinated people, either vaccinated once or vaccinated twice and boosted. Omicron is a variant that has come about to find an end run around the vaccine. So the number of people who've been vaccinated, and I don't mean to indicate that that was a bad thing for people to get vaccinated. It wasn't. It's just this is a crazy virus and it's a it's a stubborn virus and it's trying to uh, keep itself alive by adapting. And one of the kind of quote-unquote market conditions that it has to adapt to is the fact that people have antibodies in their bodies, some of them from natural antibodies, people who've had COVID recovered from it, never been vaccinated, some people who've had COVID recovered from it, and then augmented that natural antibody reaction, natural immunity, with chemical antibodies that come from vaccines. And so this Omicron has found a way around it, trying to avoid being tackled, I guess you could say, in football parlance. So... That's where we are, 
And I just, back to my original point, I think it's super silly and uh, unnecessary to sideline and cancel bowl games and dramatically impact the NFL standings. I mean, the Ravens had no chance of winning that game today uh, with the depleted secondary. They brought eight guys up from the practice squad on the weekend. The Browns had virtually no chance. They played great in uh, Green Bay. We'll get to the Browns game in a moment. They had no real chance against the Las Vegas Raiders with the way that they had to phony up their roster with 18 guys out and what else? Like eight starters out and all that stuff. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, and they're doing this. Guys are not like sick and, oh, I can't move and I got no energy. Guys are sniffling around and they're elite athletes. I mean, let these guys play, okay? If they want to play, let them play. There's got to be ways you can keep them in a separate locker room or whatever. I just think it's so dumb that we are affecting the outcome of games. And we might have a college football playoff game canceled because of this stupid thing. Which, again, if you were playing a bunch of 85-year-old men who had emphysema, <laughs> I get it. But these are highly, highly healthy young men playing. Let them play. And canceling bowl games like... Hawaii canceled its bowl game, and Memphis is already out there. So what's Memphis going to do? Well, they're going to have party time on the beach, I guess. And Miami canceled its bowl game today, and we got a Boston Fenway Bowl canceled. And what are we going to do? Are we going to cancel the Rose Bowl? Are we going to cancel the Orange Bowl? Like, this is dumb. Like, you got we got to move on, people. Okay, enough soapbox. Sorry. Uh I don't mean I don't take it seriously. I just think for young, healthy males and for a, a variant that's basically just a cold, I think it's overkill. And um, that's not. this is not the appropriate place to talk about why uh, we would be immersing ourselves in such overkill right now. Uh, what I do want to talk about is uh, telling you about my friends at Willis Spangler Starling. They're the attorney firm of choice of the Bruce Hooley Show and of the We Tackle Life podcast, and they would do well. If you would trust them with your legal issues, whether you're protecting your legal rights, whether you're pressing a legal action, Willis Spangler Starling will do a phenomenal job for you. They're located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, just about, oh, just a stone's throw north, a five iron or two, a driver and a five iron from the Target store and the Home Depot store right there on Truman, just in the Mill Run area. Check them out. Wills, estate planning, probate, personal injury, all the biggies that you might have cross your life and the events in your life. Willis Spangler Starling can take care of those for you, and they will. They take care of them for me. They are my attorney firm. I would not go anywhere else other than Willis Spangler Starling. And their web address is Willis Attorneys, W-I-L-L-I-S, WillisAttorneys.com. Their Twitter handle is at Spangler Willis, at Spangler Willis. So keep it rolling. Willis Spangler Starling, uh, great firm. They'll do a great job for you. Okay. So now to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, well, I didn't really get too much into the Bengals today. The Bengals, uh, Joe Burrow, this is, this is why the Bengals should feel very good. N uh, you know, Chris Spielman, my buddy Chris, has a theory. He calls it the, the GVF theory. God is very fair. And when I say, what do you mean God is very fair? He's like, nobody gets it all. And, and so the Bengals have the quarterback that everybody in the division would want. Uh, the Steelers would rather have Burrow at this point because Ben is old. Uh, the Ravens, they love Lamar, but I don't think Lamar is sustainable. If you had to bet on length of career, you'd bet on Joe Burrow's length of career over over Lamar Jackson's. And the Browns, of course, we'll get into the Baker Mayfield drama, but you know Joe Burrow is the, the guy in the division that 
you'd like to have. The problem is the Bengals are owned by Mike Brown, who is he, who is not the owner you would like to have. He's probably fourth on the list of owners you would have, or third maybe behind Haslam if you're still a Browns fan who's of the opinion that Jimmy Haslam is a bad owner. So nobody gets it all, but the Bengals have a lot of it, okay? I mean, they have a lot. Uh, wow, their offense is good, and they're pretty healthy up front, and Uzama is a really good tight end. Uh, they have uh, Tyler Boyd. T. Higgins is really good, and Jamar Chase, like, wow. I mean, he's the offensive rookie of the year, in my opinion. Quarterback-wise, eh. Would I see anybody else be the rookie of the year? Rookie of the year. Why can't I think who was the number one pick? In the- oh, Trevor Lawrence. No, no way. So, uh, no. Uh, Justin Fields, not Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's got to be Jamar Chase. got to be the offensive rookie of the year. You're not going to give it to Panay Sewell, even though he's been a nice player for the Detroit Lions. So, Jamar Chase is amazing. And then you add Joe Mixon to the mix, and you add Samaj P. Ryan, and uh, they're just – the Bengals are good, man. They're just really, really good. And so I uh, – and their defense is better than a lot of people think, and Trey Hendrickson is a nice defensive line rusher. Uh, they didn't have Logan Wilson, their linebacker, against the Ravens, and I think they're going to have him back when they get ready to play the Kansas City Chiefs. But people think, oh, they got no chance against the Chiefs. Are you kidding me? Joe Burrow threw for 525 yards. He had three receivers over 100 yards. Like, Patrick Mahomes is good. He's not that good. I mean, he's not 525 yards a game good. That was a Bengals, of course, um, franchise record. But that's a wow, man. That is a huge, 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 huge wow. So I don't give the... uh, I don't give the Chiefs, like, uh, an automatic W at Cincinnati. I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals could beat them. But the reason why Joe Burrow is so good is uh, because his guys believe in him, and he gives them a reason to believe in him. Like, he's just a tough dude. There was some drama going on late in that Ravens-Bengals game. I'm wondering, like, why is he still out there, or why is he still throwing? And then we got the answer after the game, and this is kind of petty. You always have to be the bigger person when somebody does something stupid and honks you off. So the Ravens defensive coordinator is a guy who they've nicknamed Wink Martindale. His real name's not Wink Martindale. Wink Martindale, uh, last year the Bengals played in Baltimore, and the Bengals kicked a late field goal, so they got beat, I don't know, what, 28-3 to or something like that, so that they didn't get shut out. And Martindale was mad about it, and he thought it was a bummer. He thought it was bogus that the Bengals kicked that field goal to avoid the shutout. Okay, well, whatever, then don't let them get in field goal range, big man. So then this week, so that's festering out there. Martindale kind of, you know, laughed at the Bengals as a joke of a team for kicking that field goal, that meaningless field goal, just to avoid a shutout. So then this week, Martindale, in the lead-up to the game, is asked about are you going to double-team Jamar Chase? Because I guess they double-teamed Devontae Adams of the Packers when they lost to him a week prior. And he smarts off, and he says, well, Devontae Adams is one of the top two receivers in the league, and he's not number two. So, in other words, he's you know the best receiver in the league. I don't know why you don't just say that. Uh, and then he goes, and I don't think we're getting ready to fit and Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer, and I don't think we're getting ready to fit Joe for a gold jacket quite yet. Okay, nobody's making the case, wink, Martindale, that you are fitting Joe Burrow for a gold jacket. But you might, if he could play your defense that you put out there on a the field today. I get it. Injuries, COVID, not the real Ravens defense. 
But when you try to mock a tough guy like Joe Burrow, then you shouldn't be surprised when a game is well in hand and the Bengals get the ball with eight minutes to go on their own 20-yard line and they're chucking it all over the place, trying to make you look bad. And they made you look bad. And Joe Burrow, after the game, to his credit, didn't go, oh, what? I don't know what you're talking about. He went, yeah, I might have been thinking about that gold jacket comment. Right now, I wouldn't bet against Joe Burrow wearing a gold jacket someday because he looked pretty doggone good to me. He's the best quarterback in the division. Ben will get a gold jacket someday. I'd bet on Joe Burrow over Lamar Jackson, and I'd certainly bet on him over Baker Mayfield. So uh, that was going on right there, and that's why the Bengals were throwing it. But in the course of that, Joe Burrow took some stupid shots, stupid, like, don't-need-to-take-them shots from the Ravens' defensive line. And, I mean, one time he got lucky he didn't get thrown down he broke away and then he like runs to the side and he stands there and he takes another shot so Zach Taylor I hope you got all the revenge out of the Ravens that you wanted problem is you're going to tick the Ravens off and they are not going to forget this and you are going to have to go back to Baltimore next year having beaten them by give or take a couple points three touchdowns both times I'd buckle my chin strap pretty tight for those two next year because they're going to be some serious serious hitting going on in those games, and if they get a shot at Joe Burrow, they are going to take it. So I don't love the fact that Joe Burrow is out there, and he's a little bit too chippy for my taste as a quarterback, but I like the fight in him. Now let's get to a quarterback who has a little bit too much fight in him. But I will now, I do this, right? I do this. When everybody's saying Baker Mayfield is the greatest, I'm the one to go, no, no, not the greatest. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you seen this? Like, let's pump the brakes a little bit. And now, now everybody's like, oh, four interceptions. Get rid of him. He's a bomb. He stinks. Okay. I don't think Baker Mayfield is anywhere close to what John Dorsey promised he would be when the Browns took him number one overall. But, but, this is where I do my contrarian thing again. Not because... I just want to be a contrarian because I think it's never black or white. Everything is a shade of gray. Okay, so with Baker, when everybody was telling me, oh, he's an awesome quarterback, and oh, he's the man, and he's better than anybody we've ever had except Bernie, and I'm like, okay. But that's not the bar. The bar is not Bernie, okay? The bar is, is he good enough right now to take the talent around him and get you to a Super Bowl? And I said all year the answer to that was no because of various things. Number one, he's just regressed since his first year. Or as I've said before, what's more accurate is he has not adjusted to the adjustment. When Baker Mayfield came on on a Monday night football game against the New York Jets and replaced Tyrod Taylor when Taylor got banged up like late in the first quarter, early in the second quarter, Baker Mayfield looked like, the coming of, you know, the next whoever. I don't know, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he did. Little guy out there doing it and feisty, and everybody loved Baker, and he set a record for touchdown passes by a rookie, and, oh, the great Baker Mayfield is here. Hallelujah, angels were singing and harps were playing, and the Browns quarterback woes were over. Well, no, I said then, the defenses in this league are going to adjust to him, and he's going to have to adjust to the adjustment. Every good player does. Jamar Chase will have to next year. Every good player has to do that. 
Because when you're a really good player, guess what? Teams game plan for you and try to shut you down, and they take away the things you like to do. That's why there are things called the sophomore jinx, because the second year through, it's tougher because now you're more of a priority. Baker Mayfield's never adjusted to the adjustment. And so his interception numbers have soared. And now you have to combine that, to be fair, with the fact that he is also injured. I know it's his left shoulder. It has to hurt. It has to be restrained by a harness. Does that keep him from putting the ball where he needs to put it? I don't know. Now, here's the problem with Baker Mayfield. I think he has a really good coach in Kevin Stefanski. And I think he has a very capable quarterback coach in Alex Van Pelt. But I don't know if Baker Mayfield is humble enough to take coaching, to take the amount of coaching that he has to take to become as good as he can become. He had a great coach in college in Lincoln Riley. He and Bob Stoops. And he transferred, we all know the Baker Mayfield story, right? He went to Texas Tech, and he transferred to Oklahoma, and he paid his own way through, and he's the underdog, and he's too little, and he wins the Heisman, and then the draft class is Josh Allen and Sam Darnold and the big, strong, strapping dudes, and little, tiny, feisty Baker Mayfield. He's the guy who John Dorsey believes in, and John Dorsey picks him, and yet Baker Mayfield's still playing the Nobody appreciates me card, even though he's a Heisman Trophy winner and even though he's the number one overall pick in the draft. And I just don't like chip-on-the-shoulder guy as my quarterback. I just don't. I don't like public chip-on-the-shoulder guy. Like, everybody's out to get me. Nobody respects me. Baker, you know what Baker is? Baker is the Draymond Green of NFL quarterbacks. Right? Why do I say that? Because Draymond Green was picked in the second round by the Golden State Warriors. And while I didn't think Draymond Green was going to be a good NBA player, presto changeo. He's a great NBA player because he's around Steve Kerr and Klay Thompson and then Kevin Durant. And, okay, Draymond looks pretty good. but And Draymond becomes an all-star. And Draymond becomes a three-time NBA champion and all this stuff. And Draymond Green, despite all that, could never let go of the fact that he was a second-round pick. And he can tell you in order all the names of all the guys who were picked ahead of him. He's always a chip-on-the-shoulder guy. And chip-on-the-shoulder guy Draymond had to play chip-on-the-shoulder guy in the 2016 NBA Finals against the Cavs. He got himself suspended from Game 5, and the Cavs won Game 5 on the road at Golden State, and then they win Game 6, and then they win Game 7. Draymond Green... We'll never know for sure, but had he not been stupid and gotten suspended because he's always chip-on-the-shoulder guy, he might have another ring, and the Cavs may never have gotten a ring. I don't know that, but the point is, once you've made it, life should change. You should change. You cannot continue to pound the no respect, no one believes in me, I'm an underdog. You cannot continue to pound that when you are on the top of the mountain, and you are on the top of the mountain when you are a three-time NBA champion and an all-star, and you are on the top of the mountain when you're a Heisman Trophy winner and the number one overall pick, act like it. Your perspective has to change because you're no longer looking up at all the rest of the world and the people you want to conquer. You have conquered them, and now you have to change and become a different kind of performer and leader. 
And Dre- and and Baker Mayfield has so far been not even close to being humble enough to accept that. I hate the progressive commercials. Is there anything more infuriating than Baker Mayfield throwing an interception and then you have to watch Baker Mayfield joke around about, hey, I'm going out of town for a few days and here are the keys to the place. Like, I know, I know it's not a live commercial. I know they're filmed in the offseason. I know he wasn't, he probably wouldn't have been studying tape that day. It's the appearance of it. And he's a, and he earlier this year, who did they beat? They beat the Ravens 24 to 22. Okay, they didn't look good. Scored 24 points early, didn't score again. He got mad. And he makes it about himself after a game they had to have. Oh, there's a lot of dysfunction in our locker room or whatever the heck it was he said that was just beyond stupid to take the focus off the fact that we won the game. Hey, guys, we didn't play very well today in the second half, but hey, man, we got the win and we're fighting through this and we're getting better. And sometimes you can't be chip on the shoulder guy. Sometimes you have to be cheerleader guy and follow me guy. And he's not that. Now, can he become that? I like to think he could. He has been persevering through a myriad of injuries this year. The shoulder, the knee, the ankle, all this stuff. I would pick up his fifth-year option at $18 million. I would definitely draft another quarterback, although if you draft another quarterback, Baker Mayfield is going to treat him like he's a leper, which, again, will speak to Baker Mayfield's lack of leadership if he does because you're all going to the same facility wearing the same uniform trying to win games under the same umbrella. You better not reject guys just because they might be the heir apparent. Instead, how about a more mature reaction, which is, I'm the starting quarterback of the Cleveland Browns, and I'm going to play my butt off, and they're not going to want anybody else running this team after they get a load of me in 2022. That's his attitude, what it ought to be. He's got every advantage. He's got talent around him. He's got Stefanski coaching him. He's got a great running game. He's got a pretty good defense. And and he's got Case Keenum as a guy who can tutor him and help him. So Baker Mayfield, um, he needs to be humbled. He needs to be broken. He needs to be willing to learn. And his footwork is awful. A lot of his throws sailed. Now, I will say this about the four interceptions against the Packers. Two of them, I'm not going to say were not his fault. They were all his fault. He threw the ball, okay? Don't throw the ball where he can't get picked. The last one, clearly, I mean, any anybody knows. Donovan Peoples-Jones got interfered with. It's a terribly bad break. It's the kind of thing that happens to the Browns all the time. Ball was not thrown in a wrong spot if Peoples-Jones didn't get held, but he got held, and he got away with it. Or the, uh, the DB got away with it. So what are you going to do? You can't do anything about it. The one that sailed over Landry's head, his hips are open, and he's like, and I think some of this is like he's gotten in bad habits because of the injury. I'm sure his, his, uh, his, um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? His, um, CC Sabathia used to hurt it all the time. Not his midsection, not his trunk. What the heck, Bruce? Why can't you think? His, his core. I think is giving him trouble, and it's giving him trouble to the point that he's compensating in the way that he sets up to throw the football, and sometimes the ball sails on him, and sometimes it's off target. He's off target on the pass to David Njoku before the last uh, final possession the Browns had on the last series. He 
darn near threw the game away on a simple screen pass to Dearness Johnson. He had four interceptions. He could have had six or more. Uh, and a couple of them were great plays by the Packers, too. But you can't throw four interceptions. I mean, you can't say you can't ever throw four and say, unless they hit off your receiver's hands and went through them, which none of them did. But again, it's not all on Baker. It's not all on Baker. What is Nick Chubb doing on a sideline? The last series. They can't stop Nick Chubb with, you know, I don't know what, a bulldozer. They couldn't stop him. He's getting like nine yards of carry. So they get to midfield. They got 50 seconds left and and three timeouts. And Nick Chubb stands on the sidelines and watches three plays? That's a fail on Kevin Stefanski's part. That's a super fail. That cannot happen. And I don't know why, two things. I don't know why the Browns don't have a coach over there going, hey, hey, we got to get Nick Chubb in the game. Or I don't know why Nick Chubb's not over there going, hey, I'm going in. So just, I mean, look, I know Dearness Johnson's, he's not Nick Chubb. So some of these things, I just, I want to know, how do these things happen? This is the highest level of football. Nick Chubb can't be tackled without, you know, the abominable snowman joining the defense for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, what are we doing? He's standing over there on the sidelines with a coat on. Hello. That makes no sense. So uh, just a very disappointing loss for the Browns. And, you know, they're struggling and they're under 500 and that's unacceptable. And I know Odell Beckham's not there. Here are the numbers on Baker Mayfield, right? Uh, He was two for 10 for 40 yards with four picks on passes more than 10 yards down the field. He's got a good arm. That's Some of that's the injuries, folks. Some of it's the bad mechanics brought on by the injuries. Some of it's lack of confidence from the fact that he's been picked a lot. And some of it's bad break. He's not getting any breaks right now. All right, the other thing is, add this to the list of games. I think there were four others this year. Yeah, they're 0-5 in games where they had the ball with a chance to win or tie in the fourth quarter or on their final drive. They could have beaten the uh, Chargers that way. They could have beaten the Steelers at home that way. They could have beaten the Ravens that way the first time. They could have beaten the Packers that way. And there's one other one in there. So I, that's not good. I kept saying they keep waiting for him to to lead a game-winning drive. 13 times. In his career now, he has failed to lead a game-winning drive, most notably the playoff loss against the Chiefs when the Browns had the ball and a chance to go down the field and take the lead. And on those 13 drives, he has thrown six interceptions. So he throws a lot of interceptions. He just does. But Joe Burrow throws a lot of interceptions too, and I'll take Joe Burrow all day long. It's a matter of what kind of interceptions you throw. And remember, Joe had a game this year where he threw three in a row, three attempts in a row. A good quarterback will will sometimes throw interceptions. I um, I would not say yet that I have completely detached from Baker Mayfield. The things I need to see him do are more attitudinal things: learning, uh, taking coaching, admitting his failures, concentrating on football, not getting yourself involved in a lot of these little petty media snits with media personalities and. I like Colin Cowherd. Baker Mayfield doesn't. Doesn't mean that I think I'm not on Baker about his things with Cowherd over the years because I like Cowherd, hence I don't like Baker. 
what is Baker Mayfield doing? Getting in a snit with a national radio host. You're not going to win that, Baker Mayfield. And, and, and you shouldn't even try or want to win that. And Colin Cowherd, I know Colin a little bit. Colin would tell you the same thing. He's like, what are you, what are you talking about me for? Like, play football, you dope. And he gets into stuff with Tony Grossi, and he gets into stuff with Daryl Ryder, and he just, ah, Baker, you got to grow up. You got to grow up. Now, the other thing I will say, in, in Baker's defense, uh, I read this column by Doug LaMaurice in, the, in uh, Cleveland.com, and, uh, you know, I thought Doug made some good points in the column, but I didn't care for uh, the overall tenor of the column because, to me, I have been um, I've been brought up, you know, on the NFL uh, through the eyes of 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 Spiels, and I've done radio shows with Spiels, and I've done you know many many podcasts with Spiels, and we've had many conversations over the years doing his book, where uh, my view of the NFL is I think a a, a pretty <laughs> uh, a pretty aware uh, view of the fact that this is not college football, right? Like. You don't have Alabama's not ever going to lose to um, the Citadel coming in there. But in the NFL, you might perceive the Detroit Lions as the Citadel, or you might perceive such and such a team as not very good. They're way good. They're just having a bad year. I don't mean they're good by the standard of the best team in the NFL, but I mean the worst team in the NFL would mop the field with every college team. And Doug's column made the point that, you know, Baker kind of, the the eye test is, you know, like things are, things are easy with Aaron Rodgers and things are hard with Baker. And so, you know, wouldn't it be nice if things were easy? Well, sure, it'd be nice. But that's not the reality of the NFL. Aaron Rodgers makes it look easy. It's not easy. Like that second half for the Packers, that wasn't very easy. Like, they were having trouble with the Browns. Aaron Rodgers was limping around. He couldn't do anything. It wasn't easy for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so I kind of, like, that was an analogy I didn't really get. Now, he made some good points in the column, as I said. Some things I disagree with. I don't think the reason you get rid of Baker Mayfield is because you have, like, some attitudinal thing telling you that, like, oh, woe is us. Like, this guy's not our quarterback. Like, it has to be more numerical and processed than that. Um, so I just, I don't. I don't think Baker's the guy. I've not thought he was the guy since uh, late in the second season that he was a starter, the second year in the league. Uh, I've wanted to see him do some things he hasn't done. I've said many times I want to see him drop that nonsensical sprint down the field, throwing his arms all over the place like he doesn't have con- He's just not in control of himself out there on the field. And a guy who's given to way, way, way highs and way, way, way lows will – Always find one of those two points on the continuum. He won't exist there in that middle where his fire burns hot inside, but he's able to keep it under control. He'd be a better quarterback, I think, if he could do that. I'm not sure it's in his personality. He's lived his life, 20-plus years, whatever it is, feeling like the entire world is out to get him. And I don't know that he knows how to operate in any world other than that. And if the Browns cut him loose after next year, then he'll have a fresh set of things to be mad about. As I've said before, I hope the walls in his house are made out of cork because he's got the every every room in his house is a bulletin board. Like every single thing that comes up with that guy is bulletin board material. So um, that's my take on Baker Mayfield. Now, uh, open enrollment 
has come and gone, but it's back. Open enrollment is that period of time on the calendar when you can change your health insurance. It was supposed to end December the 15th. It didn't end December the 15th because the Biden administration changed its mind. And so if you're an individual skating into the new year and you think that perhaps you'd like to at least know, am I getting what I'm paying for? Well, you can find out. And Chrissy, uh, one of the most uh, sharp, uh, savvy, insightful people that I know, particularly when it comes to business, uh, will help you with it at AUI, whether you're an individual or a business. You got a family? You want to know you're getting good insurance for your family? Well, Chrissy can help you answer that question, and she won't charge you to answer that question. And it's not because she's a personal friend of mine and you know me, although when you go to her site, auiinfo.com, please tell her that uh, you heard about her and the um, business that she runs, the health insurance brokerage that she runs, Tell them that you heard about it on the We Tackle Life podcast. But no, they, they offer their service free to everybody all the time because they get paid by the insurance companies that their consumers eventually pick. You'll be charged with picking uh, an insurance company. And after you pick that company, that company will pay AUI. So that's how the insurance game works. Get your answers. Uh, get the... Uh, Get the information you need, want, and uh, get it done, get it free, and get it immediately by going to auiinfo.com. It's auiinfo.com. All right, now to the faith portion of the podcast. And I said I was going to share from the book of Nehemiah today. Nehemiah is a cool story. Nehemiah is a, a historical uh, event, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. You can find this in history books. You can also find it in the Bible. I'm reading the Bible, so that's where I found it. But Nehemiah... Uh, provides a lot of great leadership lessons. And Nehemiah sounds like he was a, a real boss individual because he had humility. He had a heart uh, for his uh, home country, hometown, capital city, Jerusalem, capital of, the, of the Israel. And uh, Nehemiah was in exile in Babylon. He was the cupbearer to Cyrus, king of the Persians. And he's bothered, Nehemiah is bothered, because the walls of Jerusalem, he hears, have been burned to the ground. And back then, if you had a city and it didn't have walls around it, it was, what, very vulnerable to marauding armies and hordes and conquests and stuff like that. So Nehemiah went to his uh, king, Cyrus, um, one day, and he, Cyrus is like, what's, what's up with you? You look really bad. <laughs> and Nehemiah goes, yeah, I'm troubled about my home country. Would you allow me to go and rebuild the walls? And Cyrus is like, well, how long are you going to be gone? Nehemiah said, you know, I'll do as fast as I can. Uh, so then he said to Cyrus, you know, I'll be able to do it faster if you write me a couple letters here so that the people won't mess around with me and they'll help me and they won't get in my way and maybe, you know, provide me the materials that I need to do it. So Cyrus writes him a letter and off goes Nehemiah. He goes down there uh, to Jerusalem and he finds everything in a state of shambles. And the first thing he does is he looks at the job, find out how big the job is. That's a good leadership lesson. You don't know how, how you're going to do the job. You don't know how big the job is. So he goes down, he sees for himself. He doesn't take other people's word for it. He goes, he gets his eyes on it and sees for himself. And then he prays. Another good way to approach a problem is assess the situation, get a full understanding of the situation, and pray about what to do. So as Nehemiah expected, there are people working against him. There are people who do not want to see him rebuild these walls. And they're like, you know, they're described as what their nationalities are, and they give them names and all this kind of stuff. 
And so uh, they start mocking him. Ah, these walls. One, one guy says, oh, these walls, these walls they're building out of stone. They'd collapse if a fox walked on top of it. You know, that's like saying, oh, if a mouse walked on that wall, it'd fall down. So they're mocking him, right? So they're discouraging him. So this is a leadership lesson. If you try to lead, you try to affect change, people are going to mock you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to like try to upset you. They're going to try to distract you. And Nehemiah did not allow that to happen. And he took the threat seriously, too. He took the threat so seriously that he appointed some of the people who were working on the wall to stand guard over the efforts on the wall. And he says some of the people who were carrying stones and mortar and stuff like that for them to build the wall of, they took the threat so seriously that some of these people might try to sabotage their work that they, and I'm quoting here from Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 17, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. So there you go. They're like, they're ready, baby. They're ready for battle, but they're also doing whatever they need to do. So Nehemiah gets this almost all done. He's got the walls up, and he's waiting to put the gates up. So the walls, you know, they'll have pillars and they put a gate so you can go in and out. And he's building the gates and these guys who are bugging him and and mocking him, making fun of him and threatening to tell lies about him. At one point they say, hey, we're going to tell Cyrus that you're building these walls so you can have a fortress and then you can, you know, try to overthrow him. And, And they, they, Tell uh, Nehemiah this, and here's what they say. It's reported among the nations that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. And, and Nehemiah, he just, I love, I love how he answers this. He just goes, this is, this is literally in the Bible. Chapter 6, <laughs> verse 8. Nothing like what you are saying is happening you are just making it up out of your head. <laughs> I love that answer from Nehemiah. Yeah, none of that's happening. You're making that up in your head. Uh, and they try to get him to come and meet with them. Hey, come on and meet with us. They send a, an invitation for him to come and meet with them four times. Now, Nehemiah's smart. He's like, hmm, I wonder what they're going to do to me at this meeting. Maybe I might not make it out of the meeting. Or at the very least, they're going to distract me from my work during the meeting. So he just says... I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. In other words, I can't come. I'm not coming. I'm busy. So when you are trying to affect change, when you're trying to transform an organization, when you're trying to lead your family, when you're trying to do something good at work, do something substantial, something that will make a difference, you have to realize that there are going to be negative people. They're going to spread negative thoughts. They're going to they're going to discourage you. They're going to try to discourage you. And they're not going to relent in that. And the threats may get, who knows, to your physical safety or whatever. And so if you stay focused on the task at hand, uh, seek you know, the wisdom of God in prayer, if you... Involved the right people, and Nehemiah did. He enlisted the help of the people who could do the work. Um, if you identify who the naysayers are 
and uh, the opposition that they're, you know, launching against you. And if you take ownership of the responsibility to do the work and you're committed to getting the work done, then I think you have such a great chance of succeeding. And in the story of Nehemiah, the history of Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt in 52 days. 52 days. That's an amazingly fast time. And it tells me that if you seek God, and he did in prayer, and you remain vigilant, and he did, and you remain faithful, and he did, and you remain resolute, determined, and you don't listen to the lies about you, you don't get distracted by, oh, come talk to me, and get a meeting, or hey, you know. The lessons of Nehemiah exhibited are the lessons that I think we all can apply to situations in our life that compel us to enlist the help of others and lead a transformative time, whether it's in our companies, in our families, in our friendships, or whatever it is. So I think Nehemiah is a great book for us to uh, focus on when you're looking for inspiration, when you're looking for life lessons in leadership. Nehemiah is a place to go. And if you want to look for it online, you can find a book by Charles Swindoll about the leadership lessons of Nehemiah. I don't think that's what it's called. Because I actually thought about writing such a book at one point in time, and I thought, well, I better look and see if anybody else has written it. And then I saw, hmm, Chuck Swindoll's written it. Okay, it's been done then, and it can't be done any better, most likely, because Swindoll is phenomenal. So with that, I will uh, close this edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I will uh, be back with uh, another edition, most likely on Wednesday, after the Buckeyes play basketball against New Orleans. And uh, by then, I would think we would know who's, if anyone, opting out of the Rose Bowl on Friday against Utah. Uh, until then, as always, the email address is wetacklelife at gmail.com. Patronize our sponsors. Follow us on Twitter at WeTackle or on Facebook, the We Tackle Life Facebook page. Send me a message on Facebook, on Twitter, or an email. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And have a joyous, joyous post-Christmas pre-New Year start to your week.